hasn't affected your daily habits, it's probably not a resolution. It's probably a wish, right? Uh, so here's the thing. There's 86,000 seconds in a day. Everybody say 86,000. 86,000 seconds in a day. There's 60 seconds in a minute, and there's 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day. 1,440 minutes or 86,400 seconds in a day. How are you going to live those seconds? How are you going to live them? Okay. Matt Emmons had the gold medal in his sights. He's one shot away from victory in the 2004 Olympics, 50-meter, three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. If he came even remotely close, if his final shot just hit the target, he had done so well, he's a gold medalist. Now, normally, the shot that he actually shot would have scored an 8.1 on the scale, which would have been more than enough for the gold medal. But in what was described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, Emmons fired at the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he hit the target in lane three. And therefore, his score was a zero. And he dropped to eighth place. I heard someone once say that their biggest fear in life was regret. Could you imagine being this man? And ha I mean, I mean, I, I wonder what was he thinking? I mean, ha what what went wrong? Now, now the actual tip of the barrel wasn't off that much if you measure it, but it was enough to go into the other lane. I mean, I wonder what is that? Could you imagine being being this close? To, I mean, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, it's simple. To a gold medal and all of the fame and the notoriety and to, and to hit the wrong target. I mean, how do you overcome that? I mean, I don't know if he eventually made it to other Olympics or I don't know if he just sort of ran off into obscurity or, you know, he's working at some shooting gallery somewhere and... I mean, I'm sure all the people who do this and are really good at it would go, oh, you're, oh, Emmett, yeah, boy, oh, sorry about that, man. I mean, how do, you, how do you recover? Here's the thing. It doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong goal. It doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong goal. And so I want to talk this morning about three guys um, who were living on target, uh, three guys who, um, who finished strong. Um, Finishing strong, and and one guy is Caleb, and and if Caleb had a uh, had a motto in his life, it would be that old guys rule. <laughs> uh, how many of you guys seen that T-shirt? How many of you guys have that T-shirt? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, he's 85 years old, and Caleb is one of the 12 spies that was sent into the Promised Land. Uh, 45 years earlier, remember Moses and the children of Israel at the brink of entering into the promised land? Moses says, send out 12 spies to spy out the land and give us a 411 on what's going on. And, of course, 
uh, they come back and they've got these massive grapes and they go, man, this, it's fully landscaped. There's fruit trees. It's, it's an amazing oasis in the wilderness. And, and oh, by the way, there's one problem. There's these giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers in their sights. And, and there's no way that we can take the city. And, and of course, Caleb and Joshua, they had a different spirit. And they said, oh, oh, no, no, actually, God has given us this land. You know, Caleb had the audacity to believe that God would do what he said he would do. They were the only two that came back with a good report. They believed by faith that God would give them this land. Do you ever feel like you're in the minority You ever feel like you're the only one who's got faith? You're the only one who believes in God? Maybe you're the only one in the workplace that has a Bible and reads it. Do you ever feel like maybe God lays something on your heart and people tell you, man, you're crazy. There's no way that God will do that. Well, that was Joshua and Caleb. I mean, they had a word from the Lord. They believed in that word, and everyone else didn't believe in it. And as a result of it, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine that? You know what? Here's the thing I thought about. Um, even if you're the only one that's hearing from God, and even if what God has told you doesn't make sense, listen, sometimes God will call his people to things that don't make sense. Yes? Let me try this side. Sometimes God will call his people to things that don't make sense, right? Much, much nicer, this side over here. These guys want to leave early. That's why they're sitting on this side, you know? I don't know, something... Uh, but And, of course, it's, it's a wise thing to, to, to talk to others and get co- godly counsel. Uh, it's a wise thing to say, I feel like God's dropped this on my heart. What, what, do, what do you say? Yeah, that, that's a good thing to do. Uh, but here's the other thing. Don't let anybody talk you out of what God has told you to do. Now, of course, if it goes against the word, you know, then, of course, you're not going to do it. Well, you know, I know, I know he's not a, a Christian, but we really love one another. We want to get married. <clears throat> okay, no, no, don't do that. That goes against his word. You don't need to pray about something that goes against his word. Don't do it, <laughs> right? Um, uh, so either way, it's good to get counsel, but if God's called you to it, and that was the Caleb spirit. Caleb was like, listen, we understand there's giants in the land, but that's not going to stop us. Everybody else disagreed, so it's 45 years later. We're in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 7. And this is his commentary about the land that he's supposed to, that Moses has promised him. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land of Canaan. And I brought a report back to him as, to, was, as it was in my heart. My brothers, fellow spies who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I follow the Lord my God. What does your translation say? That's a question. What does what your translation say? Wholeheartedly. What else? Apparently only one translation in the whole house. That's, you guys are good. Completely, right? I follow the Lord my God completely. So Moses swore an oath to me on that day saying, be assured that... The land on which your foot has walked will be an inheritance to you and to your children always because you have followed the Lord my God completely. And now look, the Lord has let me live just as he said these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now look at me, I'm 85 years old today. Apparently it was his birthday, you know, great girl, maybe not, I don't know. 
Verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so is my strength now. For war and and for going out and coming in. So now give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke that day from your, uh, uh, for you heard on that day that the giant like Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said, amen. You love being around a Caleb type? Boy, I tell you, those are great guys. Are you a Caleb type of person? Here's a couple of keys to finishing strong that Caleb would tell you, I believe. First, everything starts with, I followed the Lord my God completely. You know, you can't do anything well halfway. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're like a student and it's like, well, I kinda, I'm kind of a half student. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Or, you know, if you're learning some skill and, uh, you know, well, I noticed that you really, you know, you're really learning. You're kind of like, like um, how are you doing with that? Ah, uh, you know, I'm kind of half into it, half out. Oh, you're not really into it. Like if you're married, I mean, if, does anyone ever say, well, I'm kind of like half married. I'm not like completely married. Oh, what? That's like being half pregnant. What does that mean? You know, I mean, you're, 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 you can't be half. Are you married or not? You know, are you in or are you not in? I mean, well, you know, well, no, that doesn't even make sense. You can't do anything halfway. Right? I mean, okay, I know what you're thinking. There's got to be something you can do. Well, maybe there is. I don't know. But, I mean, if you can't be good at anything, if you just do it halfway, even if you've been blessed with a certain ability by God, you still have to make some kind of effort. And I believe that one of the things that Caleb would tell us of finishing strong is he followed the Lord, his God, completely. Completely. A faithful man. In all things. Another thing I think he would say is measure the giants that come your way by God's ability, not your inability. Because everyone else saw those giants and said, man, there's no way. And Joshua just had a different spirit about him and, and Caleb. And they were like, no, there, there is a way. Because he, he wasn't measuring the giants by their size or their stature, but he was measuring, measuring them against the bigness of God. And when he compared them to God, of course he's given us the land, was his attitude. Here's another thing that I thought Caleb would give us as a key to finishing strong, is our spiritual life should advance as we age, not diminish. Boy, the older we get in Christ, our our spiritual life should be advancing. We should be growing we should be drawing near to him. Are you, are you, are you more in tune? Are you, more, are you closer to him now than you were a year ago? Have you pressed in at times when it's uncomfortable? Have your, have your emotions or your intellect kept you from, from faith? And if that's the case, then are you planning on growing this year? And, and how will you do that? I know for me, if it doesn't make it in my planner, I know that might sound a little... A little, a little legalistic to some, but it, but there, I just have so many things coming at me that man, I gotta write it. It's gotta be like if I make some res or at the end of the year, if I want to be here, boy, I better. It's gotta make it to my calendar every day. I, I've gotta, I've gotta live that. I've gotta live that out. So, what's your plan for growth? What's your plan for growth this year? What, what will you do? Uh, will you, will you attend a precepts class on Thursday nights and dig into the Book of Acts? 
Yeah? Will, you, um, uh, will you increase in community? Increase in community? You know what? Church, we got to grow together. We got to do life in community. We have to. Uh, uh, man, are you going to show up at the, at the men's breakfast? Hey, that's a, that's a great start. Plus, you get a, a, a massive burrito, too, you know, and some good fellowship. I mean, are we, uh, uh, but, but, but you, we have to connect. I'm not sure if it's an American thing, American church thing, and I'm in no, no way uh, able to make a global statement about the church in America, but we become satisfied with Sunday attendance, and we say, that's it. That's not it. That is not enough. That's not, it's a great start and it's beautiful to come together and sing and pray and, and, and fellowship with one another. But real koinonia and community happens outside of Sundays and Wednesday nights. Uh, there's plenty of light groups that you might attend. There's marriage groups. There's, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a youth group that's starting up in, in uh, Wednesday, a week from Wednesday. Uh, uh, but but, but community, grow in your community. And that's uncomfortable for some because it's like, well, it's one thing to go to church on Sunday. It's a whole other thing to hang out with a bunch of people on Thursday. Why not? Grow in that. Increase in the word. Let me suggest an app to you. The Blue Letter Bible app is one of my favorites. Blue Letter Bible. They have a daily reading devotional, and you can pick which devotional you want to read. And I... I uh, 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 there's chronological ones. There's um, life, the life journal, uh, which is uh, a, a good thing if you like to do that. But but to stay in the word every day. What if you what if you made it? A, 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 you resolved in your heart to, to to get into God's word every day, even for just a little bit every day, every day. Because those are the rails, community and and time in God's word. Those are the rails that when life tries to derail us, that's what keeps us on course. And if we don't have that, it's easy to what? Become derailed. Okay? Uh, he followed the Lord his God completely. I think Caleb would say to us, follow the Lord completely. Fo follow him completely, wholeheartedly. Okay? Now, another man that we can look at who uh, finished strong was King David. Don't you love King David? I mean, I, I just I want to do a series on King David every year, <laughs> like every six months. I mean, uh, one of the biggest figures in all, if not the biggest figure in all of the Old Testament. This man had a life full of dizzying heights of ecstasy with God and with deep, deep lows. Uh, uh, David was arguably a, a one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, called as a young shepherd boy. Uh, first assignment was to get back to the sheep after he was anointed as king and then take on the great king Goliath. You know the story. There are people who aren't even really followers of God who use that analogy. It's a David and Goliath story, right? Couldn't tell you where it is. It's in the Bible somewhere, David and Goliath. Uh, uh, I think if you ask the average Joe on the street, what do you know about King David of the Bible, what do you think they'd say? Anybody? What, what, what's one thing they'd say? Huh? Oh, yeah, David and Goliath. What else? Uh, King of the Jews? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, what else? Like maybe Bathsheba? Ugh, yeah. Right? You know, the highs and the lows, right? This man was literally on the run for his life. He was protected by God in the wilderness. An amazing king of Israel who accomplished amazing things, and his home life was a wreck. He was able to lead a nation, but he wasn't able to lead his own children. Ugh, priorities. 
priorities. It doesn't matter how big your kingdom is if the most important kingdom, your home, isn't in order. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The Davidic covenant, God made a promise to him that, you know what? Through your lineage, the Messiah will come. The Davidic covenant. Amazing, amazing man of God who has a distinction of being called a man after God's own heart. So he's got some parting words for his son Solomon. Parting words for his son Solomon. Uh, you could say that David would say to Solomon, Solomon, here's how you finish strong. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David is giving his last words, as it were, to his son. And, and this, is, this is the son. This is the son of Bathsheba. But he's the one who will be heir apparent to the throne. And he says, as for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. And the Amplified Bible tells us what that means. Have personal knowledge of him. Be acquainted with him and understand him. Appreciate, heed, and cherish him. And serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands every intent and inclination of the thoughts. That's true. Man, that is very liberating or very scary. If you seek him, inquiring for and of him and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, he will let you find him. But if you abandon, turn away from him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10, consider this carefully, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and strong and do it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I just picture him just kind of grabbing him close and saying, be courageous and strong and do it, son. Do it. Oh, well, let's look at this. David's keys to finishing strong. Man after God's own heart. First he says, know the God of your father. Know the God of your father. Hey, David didn't always live a life that exemplified a godly man. So he didn't say, do as I've done, son. I mean, you know, I'm the great psalmist of Israel. No, he was that. And he was a man after God's own heart. He was that. But he was a flawed man. Like me. Like all of us. Please don't have a relationship with the Lord because a father figure in your life claimed to have one but didn't. Know his God. Don't base your Christianity solely on his life. Base it on God the Father. Know the God of your father, King Solomon. Those are the most important aspects. David would say to him, here's the secret to how I finished strong. I know my God. I've spent time with him. I have a personal knowledge of him. David could fill volumes of his personal experiences with the Lord. Be acquainted with him. Seek to understand him, heed him, appreciate him, and cherish him. And then he says this, serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. A loyal heart and a willing mind. Some people are all heart in their relationship with the Lord and not much mind. 
all heart. It's all about the emotions. It's all about the feeling. It's like, man, I went to church, and man, I didn't really like it. I wasn't moved. I didn't feel anything. Uh, it was, I, I wasn't excited. And, and it's, it's like all heart. And then there's, there's some people who, when they have a relationship with God, it's all mind. Well, it's all about the law and the mindset. This is what the Bible says. There's no variation. It's like, dude, you've got to have a little heart in that too. Well, this is what the law says. No, man, I don't think you're kind of out of balance there. So we're to love the Lord with our heart, but with also with our mind because they're both important in serving him. Morgan says this, we notice that the command to know came before the command to serve. To know God is to serve him. All failure in service is a result of loss of vision of God, misapprehension of him due to some distance from him, Morgan says. David gave Solomon a reason to commit his heart and his mind to God. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents and the thoughts, or the intent of the thoughts. Man, you ever do something where you really weren't quite sure why you did it? I mean, honestly, sometimes you can fib about it. Why'd you do that? I don't know. Okay, yes, you do. You know why you did it. You ever tell someone why they did something? <laughs> I know why you did it. You did it because of this. And they go, no, not really. Yes, you did. And it's like, okay, well, you know, is my parenting mode coming out right now? God knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. He knows what we think what we do, but he knows the heart behind it, the inner part. Yeah. And so because of that omniscience, because God knows all things, he says, you know, serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind because he searches the hearts and understands the intents of the thoughts. Verse 10, consider this carefully, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house with a sanctuary. Be courageous and strong and do it. He exhorts him with a single command, build the temple, get it done, finish the job, know the God of your father, serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, and Solomon finished the job. David had all of the inventory to build the temple. Everything was there, everything was there, and he's saying, son, listen, all you have to do is build it. It's all there. And the Lord says, even to his church today, listen, everything you need is in heaven. Everything that you need is within you. Just step out in faith. That, no, you, you don't need to be overcome by that sin. No, you don't, you don't need to say it's too big. No, you don't need to look at their face and say, there's no way you can reach those people. Because God says, everything that you need to finish the job, to build the house, I place within you. It's all there. The raw material is there. But if we start to look at our own ability rather than God's sufficiency, we don't feel like we can do it. Boy, does that happen to you? That happens to me sometimes. I think, man, there's no way. And I'm thinking, man, why are my eyes so focused on what I can see when there's so much that I can't see that is all around me? And I believe one of the things when we get to heaven that will amaze us the most is the sheer amount of resource that was available to us. I don't think we'll have regret in heaven, but I think when we see it all, we'll think, and what was I thinking? Now, I'm, I'm, think, I'm, I'm not saying that. Uh, what was I afraid of? <laughs> ah, Finish it. 
complete the job. Do it, Solomon. And he did. He built the temple. And they, there is no way to calculate the value of that temple that he built. You can't put a price on it. It's beyond anything that you can calculate. That's how massive and beautiful people from all over the world came to see the temple. He finished the job. But Solomon didn't finish strong. He didn't. In one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible, he allowed his love for women to take him from pure devotion to God. His, his heart was divided. And eventually, it would divide the kingdom. Ah, man. Well, let's look at another man who finished strong, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Pick your scripture. There are many to choose from regarding this man. In 2003, the Ohio State Buckeyes faced the Miami Hurricanes in the Fiesta Bowl. Right before the game, Ohio State's coach, Jim Tressel, asked his players one question. How do you want to be remembered? Well, they were two touchdown underdogs. Uh, I believe that Miami had won 36 straight games going into the last season, and they were expected to steamroll right over Ohio State. But as someone once said, that's why they play the game. And if you know about that, you know that Ohio State won, and they pulled off one of the greatest upsets in college football history. Uh, everybody had assured Miami they were going to win, but you know what? You've got to show up and win it, and they did. Now, it's always interesting when you talk about stuff like that because I see certain people grimacing and certain people smiling. You know, I, I get a distinct vantage point. I could kind of tell who you're rooting for in this, from my vantage point, right? Paul answered this question, how do you want to be remembered in a prison cell in Rome? Shackled to a garb 24-7, knowing that at any moment that door would open up and he would be walked out to execution. And so he gives sort of his final words to his young protege, Timothy. We're going to look at what he said, and then we're going to look at what he said prior to that in Philippians. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul the apostle finished strong. And he says this, Near the end of his life, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure from this world is at hand, and I will soon go free. I have fought the good and worthy and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I firmly guarded the gospel against error. Previous to this, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, this is what he says. I count everything a loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I, I believe that if there was one statement to summarize his life, it would be, everything is meaningless to me in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He tells us what that means. And I'm growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him and unequal joy. For his sake, I have lost everything. And I consider it all garbage, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, which is what his entire relationship with, with God was prior to this, all law and all ritual. Now he says, my righteousness is not based on that. 
but pro, pro, possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And this, here, it, here, we, here he goes again, Paul's mission statement, so that I may know him. Man, that's it, Paul. Don't you want to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? Well, of course, but I just want to know him. Experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, um, experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did, so that I may attain to the resurrection which will raise me from the dead. That was in Philippians. Then, at the end of life, he says, I have fought the good, worthy, noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, firmly guarding the gospel against error. Okay, Paul's words to us on how to finish the job, how to finish strong. His main goal in life was to know Christ. That relationship was preeminent above every other one. That's what he pursued with everything within him was just to know. Now, Paul the Apostle, who was a spiritual giant, would say, just want to get to know him more. How much more should that be a desire of mine to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, share in the fellowship of his suffering? He says, I have fought the good fight. And the word there for fight is agon. And we get our word agony from that. And that was the place where, the, where the, uh, the ancient athletes would train, either in their training facility or in that place in the Colosseum where they would duke it out. It was the agon. And he said, I fight the good fight of faith, even though at times it would be difficult, even though at times he would be all by himself, he would be shipwrecked, or he would go through great difficulty, hard places, hard faces, betrayed by those even close to him. And Paul said, man, it was a fight. And you know, sometimes our walk with the Lord, man, it's a struggle. It's hard. It's not easy. Maybe we haven't gone through the depths that Paul and the apostle have, but you know, we still go through things. And we go through difficult times. Paul says, man, I fought that fight. And he said, I finished the race. And you know, that, that kind of gives me a little bit of hope. I mean, I'm not facing execution for the gospel. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I have my fears and my struggles and the things that, that hold me back and the things that I just feel like, man, I'm just not good at that, right? And, and Paul says, okay, it's an agon. It's a fight. It's a struggle. Listen, if it wasn't worth anything, it wouldn't be a fight. It would be easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard. But he also said it was joyous, unparalleled joy pleasing the master. And he's not just doing it just to do it because he just loves punishment. He's doing it because his eyes are fixed on something else. And that's what I need to hear. Paul, why are you doing this? Oh, because my eyes are fixed on a prize. And there's a race. And he says, at this point of his life, in all the hardships, in all the difficulties, in all the joys, in the amazing miracles that he saw, the highs and the lows, living in the palace on Monday and the dungeon on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. 
the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. This wasn't some man that had the power of positive thinking. He had the power of the Lord living within him. And he said, I finished the race. Finished the race. That's what Paul said. Like if you were to go visit him in his prison cell, Paul, what's up? Dude, man, I'm just chilling, man. I'm chilling. I'm so chill, man. Man, it, has it been hard, Paul? Oh, brother, you don't even know. Did you read my letter to, oh, my gosh, to Philippians? Oh, it's been hard, man. Oh, you have no idea. Oh, it's been excruciating, but I'm, you know, you know check it out, man. Man, I'm done. I'm out of here. See, I've, I've run my race. I've finished the course. I'm looking forward to something. I mean, I'm looking for something that this earth can't give me. Not just any race, but the race that God laid out for him. The ministry that God called him to pour his life into. Hey, the Christian journey isn't a sprint. It's a marathon and beyond that. What's longer than a marathon? I don't even know. It just shows you how much I like to run. Uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a long, and that's okay. That's okay. There's highs and there's lows kept the faith by guarding it. And that word, the way that he says, when he says, I've kept the faith by guarding it, is, is his work of guarding that truth is now at an end. Not, Paul's done. He's done. He, he's, he's on lockdown. He knows what's next. <laughs> he knows that door may open up and that may be it. It probably led the executioner to the Lord. Could you imagine Paul the apostle being led to execution? I just want all y'all to know, I'll forgive you right now before you chop my head off. And you know, one last sermon. Boy, I'd love to hear that. Wow. Who knows? Maybe he didn't say anything. I don't know. Okay. He has defended the gospel against the, Nox, the, the, the Gnostics, against the Judaizers, against the philosophers in Athens. Now, Wiest, a Greek commentator, says this. And his interpretation is, he, like a soldier who has grown old in the service of his country, is awaiting his discharge. And so he writes to Timothy, the desperate training, agonizing context, contest marked by its beauty of technique. I, like a wrestler, have fought to a finish and at present am resting in its victory. We says Timothy would have gotten that out of what Paul says, that, that as hard as it's been, that now he's on lockdown in Rome, about to die, and he's resting. My race, I, like a runner, have finished. And at present, I'm resting at the goal, the faith committed to my care. I, like a soldier, have kept safely through everlasting vigilance. Then he goes on and says this, Henceforth, there is reserved for me the victor's laurel wreath of righteousness, or victor's crown, which the Lord will award to me on that day, the just umpire, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing and as a result have their love fixed on it. Cool. Cool. Paul's done. He's done. He said, I've, I've run my race. I've finished the course. What, a, what an amazing place to be at death. To think, my job is over. I've, I've, I've accomplished what he laid out for me. You know, 
What else matters at the end but our relationship with Christ and relationships with others? What else matters? No, I've yet to hear anyone on their deathbed say, oh, if only I would have spent more time in the office. I tell you, I could have brought this company to a great, greater highs than I did. Oh, 12, 15 hours a day wasn't enough. Oh, I so regret not working. Never heard anybody say that. Because in the end, all that matters is Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, and our relationship with others. That's something to pour out into. Paul said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. What are you pouring out your life into right now? What is it at the end of the year you'll look back and say, God, we did it. I stepped out in faith. Hard places, hard faces. It wasn't always easy, but God, you met me in it. God, we did it. Who's the greatest coach of all time? Anybody? Greatest coach of all time. Who? Jesus. Yes, sir. Vince Lombardi. Oh, Packers fan. Who? Who? Dungy. Tony Dun Greatest of all time, Tony Dundry. He's good. He's good. Who? Tom Landry. Oh. Lou Holtz. For those of you who didn't hear, he said Jerry Tarkanian. He's great, but Vince Lombardi. So I asked that question the first service, and they gave all those names you give, gave with the exception of Coach Tarkanian. And uh, I said, no, Jesus. And they felt like I had tried to, like, pull a fast one on them. And you guys went right to Jesus, therefore making you more spiritual than them. You win. But now you just lost because you're prideful. Oh, man. See? See how that goes? <laughs> Anyway, John Wooden, um, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, I'd like, I like to read this quick commentary. It's on a book called The Greatest Coach Ever, John Wooden, Timeless Insight, Timeless Wisdom and Insights. It says this. This is written by Dave Pash, a uh, broadcaster, ESPN and, Arizona for the, uh, ESPN and for the Arizona Cardinals. John Wooden said, don't let making a living prevent you from making a life. As a young broadcaster interviewing Coach Wooden at the 2006 McDonald's All-American game was a chance of a lifetime. As a Christian, I didn't just want to hear him speak about basketball. I wanted to garner insight to this man's great faith. During the interview, we discussed basketball and some of the amazing talent represented in the high school All-Star game. But off camera, I took the opportunity to ask Coach Wooden about his faith and how he became a Christian. He graciously shared the story of his wife's influence and how at first he attended church and was baptized to please her and her parents. <laughs> Isn't that cool? All right, I'll go to church. Baptized? Sounds great. Are you going to marry me or not? Okay, let's get baptized. I don't know. Coach Wooden also told, told me how he maintained the daily discipline of reading the Bible and spending time in prayer, a practice that dated back to his childhood days and one he faithfully continued throughout his entire coaching career, even as a college student, when he would get up early in the morning to study, he would open each study session with a time of devotion 
in God's word. I would submit to you that this man ran his race and ran it well. And you can tell how well you run your race by what people say about you after you go or as you're still alive. There has never been another coach that more people have, have loved and quoted more than this man. But that was because of his relationship with Christ. He didn't just teach life principles or basketball principles. He taught spiritual principles. And that's why many believe he's the greatest coach to ever coach. Well, anyway, there's 86,000 seconds in a day. How will you live them? How will you live them? How will you make the most of every day, of every opportunity, of every moment? Write it down. Put it in your planner and do it. Whatever God leads you to do. Because one day, your life will be poured out and it will be your last. You'll breathe your last. I just couldn't imagine, imagine a greater thing than knowing that I've run the race that he set out for me. And I ran it to the end. And I finished the course. How about you? Good thing? Good thing? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for today. You've given us this day. You've given us 86,000 seconds. Lord, may we make the most of our time. And may it start with you. Teach us, O oh Lord, what you have for us this year. That at the end of the year, we will look back and say, Lord, we did it. We finished this year, and we finished it strong. So we love you. We thank you. Help us to value each moment and value our relationships with others. In Jesus' name, amen.